Hello, and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. The same Jesus that ascended into heaven will one day return, and return in glory. Michael Reeves, President and Professor of Theology at the Union School of Theology, finishes the series Glory of Christ with this sermon entitled The Glory of Christ at the End of Time, which covers 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Well, as I've mentioned in previous weeks, um, the original plan was to have Dr. Michael Reeves join us here in person, but because of, uh, he lives in London, England, and because of COVID protocol with travel, uh, he was not able to join us in person, but he was kind enough to record what he would have preached here with us, and I've listened to it. It is tremendous. You are in for a great blessing this morning. Let me just briefly tell you about Dr. Reeves, and then we'll hear from him. Uh, Dr. Reeves is president of Union School of Theology. He also He's also the professor of theology there. Union is uh, based out of the UK, but has locations all throughout North America and Europe. Um, He's also the director of the European Theologians Network. He speaks and teaches uh, pre-COVID. He he would speak and teach throughout the world on a regular basis, and certainly in God's timing, he will continue to do that again. Uh, His wife, Bethan, and his daughters, Lucy and Mia, are fantastic. I got to um, I got to in- interview. Uh, he told he insisted I call him Mike, so I'm going to call him Mike. I got to interview Mike a couple weeks ago uh, over Zoom. That interview in, in its full length, about 12 minutes, is on our website, and so you can check that out. But uh, what a blessing he is to so many, and he certainly will be for us this morning. So uh, let's turn our attention to the screen. Good morning, friends at Perimeter. Some of you I already know, and special greetings to you. Others I look forward to meeting someday. I'm sorry I can't be with you in person as we'd hoped. But this morning we are wrapping up a series on the glory of Christ. A series that I pray will have a ripple effect through eternity. As you find a happiness in Christ that sustains you through all your highs and lows. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray, would you open our eyes to see the glory of Jesus? Would you help us to see that he is more precious than anything and make him more precious in our eyes than our own names, than anything else we treasure? And would you replace all our anxieties with a despair-destroying hope? in the return of our friend, Jesus. In his name we pray it. Amen. I'd like you to imagine, imagine you are an Israelite in the days of Moses. And it's Yom Kippur. It's the great day of atonement. Now, Aaron, the high priest, he's dressed all in his pure linen and he's just sacrificed the goat of the sin offering. That was a blood-soaked moment we recognize as a type or picture of the cross. When he'd done that, he took the blood of the sacrifice behind the veil into the Holy of Holies and he sprinkled it there over the mercy seat. And again, we, 
recognize that moment as a picture, a picture of the moment when our great high priest entered the true holy place in his ascension. Having offered himself on the cross, he ascended to heaven to present himself and his offering before God his Father. But now come back to this moment in Israel. Now is a special day of atonement. It's held only once every 50th year. And on this day, when the high priest disappears into the Holy of Holies, all the people hold their breath. As you wait for him, you would hear a pin drop because a once-in-a-lifetime once event is about to happen. The high priest steps back out and we see him again. He, he's gone through, he disappeared, but he steps back out and we see him. And at that moment, a trumpet sounds. And here's how it's described in Leviticus 25 from verse 9. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout your land. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. When each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. That 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines. For it is a jubilee. So the high priest would go and make atonement. He'd go through to the Holy of Holies. And when he stepped back out, the trumpet would sound, proclaiming jubilee. In that year, debts would be cancelled, slaves freed. The people, the very land itself, would be allowed to rest. No sowing, no reaping would be done. It was a foretaste of the Bible's cosmic hope, the time when all our debt will be cancelled, when all our captivity and bondage to decay and evil will be ended when the meek will inherit the earth. But as I read that, does any of this sound rather familiar? We've looked at Leviticus 25, but doesn't it sound familiar? The awaited high priest reappears and the trumpet sounds, announcing an atonement bought rest. You recognize it from our passage. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with the sound of the trumpet of God. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. It should sound familiar because just as the high priest going into the Holy of Holies was a picture of Christ's ascension to heaven, the high priest's return was a little picture of Christ's return especially in that jubilee year. And in those details, this is often how it is with scripture, it's in the little details, we find a truckload of comfort. We see that the man who stepped into the Holy of Holies 
is the very same man who steps back out. Aaron, who went into the Holy of Holies, is the same Aaron who steps back out. It means, as the angels told those gawping disciples who were looking at the ascended Jesus going up to heaven, this same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Acts 1 verse 11. When the trumpet sounds, when the judge of all the earth appears, we will see the same one who died to make atonement for us. He's the one we wait for. And the Heidelberg Catechism just puts this beautifully. The Heidelberg Catechism, question 52, asks... This is a surprising question. It asks, what comfort is it to you that Christ shall come to judge the living and the dead? Isn't that a brilliant question? It doesn't ask, how scary is that to you? How terrifying is the thought that Christ will come to judge the world? It doesn't ask that. It asks, what comfort is it to you? And here's the answer that we're to give. In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who gave himself to the judgment of God for me and has removed all the curse from me. The judge of all the earth, the one we wait for, he is the one who screamed in agony. He's the one who bled, who streamed with blood for us. My friends, do you think that on that day he returns, he could forget his own, having bought them with his own blood? Do you think he could forget us? Do you think he could reject us? No. And so confidently, supremely confidently, Christians long for that day. We're a people who are supposed to be known for praying, your kingdom come, for crying, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. We're a people who eagerly await the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because the one we're waiting for is our Savior, our beloved, our friend, who cannot forget us, who cannot be without compassion for us. Now, others, they, they don't, they can't understand that. It simply doesn't make sense to the world that we should look forward to the coming of the judge. And it does sound very surprising. Here's Psalm 98. Psalm 98 reads... Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous songs. Sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre, with a lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar. Let all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, 
4, verse 9. He comes to judge the earth. Isn't that surprising? The whole earth rejoices because he's coming to judge it. That makes no sense to most people. But today, the creation groans under all the weight of our sin with its piled up cruelty, abuse and death. And his return, his judgment means liberation for the creation and for the children of God. It means the removal of all evil, wickedness, pain, sorrow, injustice. Of course, the principal image used in scripture, used in scripture to show the absolute goodness of Christ's judgment. What's the principal image? Light confronting darkness. It's where the Bible starts, where God speaks light into darkness. It's where John's gospel starts. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John 1 verse 5. And one day, he will come like the rising sun of righteousness, the light of the world, to chase away all darkness. And he will usher in the eternal summer of the new Jerusalem as the glory of God shines out and fills all the earth. And on that day, friends, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun for the Lord God will give them light. The lamb will be their lamp and they will reign forever and ever. So the fact that Christ is the judge of all the earth is not evidence that there's some vicious, unpleasant side to his character finally showing itself at the end. It's not like you spent weeks enjoying the beautiful compassion, kindness and mercy of Christ, but then, oh, he's also the judge. This is no cause to make us waver in our love to him. It is the opposite. The earth-shaking power of the Lamb does not mean that that most loving man has changed in his character. It is rather that his cause, his character, his light is victorious. His truth will drive out lies. His beauty will drive out ugliness. His goodness will drive out evil. The lamb wins. And on that great day, all those believers who've already gone to be with him, they will return with him in his victory train. Paul says that in our passage, verse 17, we will be caught up with them and together with the now departed faithful, think with parents, spouses, martyrs, with all the cloud of witnesses, we will cry, where, O oh, death, is your victory now? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Death is swallowed up in victory. The day of Christ's return will be a glorious day. It will be a day of gorgeous transformation when his eternal purpose to perfect a people for himself will be complete. He's perfecting a work 
that's already begun in us, of course. Because right now, right here, the Lord is taking vicious, petty, hardened sinners and moulding us into holy ones. You know, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 that we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Paul's saying that contemplating him by faith, we are now being transformed into his likeness. So as you've been looking at the glory of Christ these last few Sundays, just contemplating him, as you fix your eyes on him, you find it's doing deep work in you. You're being transformed to be like the one you're looking at. The shining sight of him by faith begins to drive away the darkness in us. We feel the dawn rising. Even now, with unveiled faces, we behold the glory of the Lord. He begins to put an end to the crookedness, the evil inside us. The sight of the glory of Christ begins to make the faces of the saints shine. But when he appears... When we actually clap eyes on him physically at his second coming, then, 1 John 3 verse 2, when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The the sight of him now by the Spirit, by faith, makes us more like him spiritually, but the sight of him then face-to-face, will finally make us body and soul as he is. That full, unveiled, physical sight of the glorified Jesus will be so majestically affecting it will transform our very bodies around us. When he appears in the full sweetness and awesomeness of his glory, when we behold him, it will mean the final blasting away of all sin, all darkness, all pain, all sorrow in us. And then, when we see him completely alive, transformed at last, Body and soul will be like Jesus, shining like stars, luminously glorious, singing with our hearts and not just our voices in tune. Theologians used to like calling that sight the beatific vision because it will be the most happifying sight, a sight to make us happy. Friends, we need to dwell on this because... We must be careful as we talk about all the blessings that the Lord will bring on his return. Because our constant danger is that we'll set our hearts on the blessings and not on him. We'll long for the messianic banquet, but not the Messiah. We long for the crowns he gives us and not the king himself. But before all else, the delight of the saints 
in glory is the enjoyment, the head-filling, heart-melting adoration of him. And actually, when saints are in their right mind now, that's who it is, how, it, how it is. Do you remember Paul wrote to the Philippians and he told them, my desire is to depart and be, he doesn't say in heaven. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. Because for Paul, heaven would not be heaven without Christ. And that was the great promise of the Old Testament. I myself will be with them. That's what we want. The bride longs to be with her bridegroom. More than anything else, improving everything else, our hope is to be with him. He will be the glory and the delight of the saints forever. And this is what we're designed for. This, brothers and sisters, this is the heart of the eternal life we've been given. You see, God the Father has eternally found his enjoyment gazing on the perfection of his Son. And on that day, he will fully allow us to share his happiness in Christ. And that's why our bodies will transform, because we'll see him. That's why we'll have perfect life and joy, because we'll be with him. He himself is the jewel in the crown of our hope. He's the the fountainhead, the source of all the blessings of the new creation. The creation will be a thoroughly good place, through and through, once more, because every knee will bow in adoration to him. Where now sin makes, sin makes everything eccentric and wrong. But around Jesus, all things will find what they are meant to be. For now, of course, just as unbelievers don't understand why Christians should long for that day, they don't believe it's going to happen. And we can be like that too. And understandably, there is no obvious indication in the world around us that this is going to happen. Some people spend a lot of time looking for the signs, maybe this is about to happen, but as the years roll on, the world doesn't seem to be getting any more peaceful or unspoiled. All people see is the law of decay. All they expect is nothing or some natural disaster, the earth to become uninhabitable. They don't expect this. But Christian confidence does not come from looking at the state of the world. It comes from Jesus. The ever-faithful God of truth has promised. And no matter how many promises God has made, they're yes in Christ. And, in fact, more than a promise, the clock is ticking. The new creation has already begun. Raised from death to new life, Christ is the firstborn, the firstfruit, the head of the new creation. His resurrection has started an irreversible tide. And it is a tide which must and will sweep through all creation. Jesus Christ is the head of the new creation, and this is his Father's great purpose, to bring, this is Ephesians 1, verse 10, to bring 
all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. And I love how Isaac Watts put it in his toe-tapping classic. We, we sing it at Christmas, but we could sing it all year round. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Saviour reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, plains, repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Here's perhaps my favourite line. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Yes, when he returns, he will finally and completely undo the fall. In Genesis 3, sin brought not only death, but pain in childbirth, marital difficulties, an earth filled with thorns and thistles. He comes to make his blessings flow far as that curse is found. When he returns... He will overturn and heal all that. The heavens and the earth, the whole cosmos will be restored and revived. The one through whom all things are made, that same one will undo all the chaos. He will mend, bind back together his original handiwork. Jesus called it the renewal of all things when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. Matthew 19, verse 28. But this doesn't actually mean that he will merely restore Eden. The story of the gospel is more than just paradise regained. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, it will be better than Eden when Adam was put in charge. For Jesus is better than Adam. And as there was more glory in the days of Solomon than in the days of his father David, so there will be more glory in the days of the Son of Man than ever there had been in the days of the first man. For as the last Adam is so much superior to the first, so must his reign be. Yet the first man, Adam, was made to rule over creation. Everything was put under his feet. And he fell. What about the last Adam? The son of man. Daniel 7, we read. Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one, that shall not be destroyed. What a difference. Oh, it had been good before Adam fell, completely good. But he was fallible. He had only what Paul called a natural body. There was a tree to avoid, the threat of a serpent. 
with Christ. We have so much more. We are the adopted children of God, sharing the beloved Son's own life and righteous status. And he is infallibly faithful. He now has a glorious, imperishable body that has defeated death. Paul called it a spiritual body, 1 Corinthians 15, 44. It's the sort of body we will also have. And when he appears, there'll be no threats left, nothing of which to be afraid, and only the tree of life. Dear brothers and sisters, with Christ, we have a certain hope that outstrips Eden itself. The creation that's now sliding back into willful darkness will be suffused with the bright glory of Christ. It will share the liberation of the children of God. The sound of weeping will no longer be heard. The lion will lie down with the lamb. The desert will bloom like the rose. The plowman will overtake the reaper. The mountains run with new wine. Because a man, this time the faithful man, at peace with the ancient of days, he will reign in this paradise. And this son of man's wonderful rule will never fall, will never be destroyed. Let's pray. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people's with equity. Father, strengthen our hearts and minds in the knowledge of this magnificent hope, for then we will sing for joy to you. Then we will proclaim your great salvation day after day to each other, to the world. We will declare your glory among the nations, your marvellous deeds among all peoples. Father, for Jesus and this hope he gives us, with hearty praise we bless you. Amen. Amen. Colossians 3, 4 says this, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What a wonderful hope. What a wonderful promise. We're going to sing the classic hymn, It Is Well. And when we get to that final verse, when it says, and Lord haste the day when our faith shall be sight, the clouds shall be rolled back like a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. When we sing that, let your heart leap with joy in the hope of our coming King. Would you stand and let's sing together. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. 
Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.